Chapter Thirty Nine, Part Two of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter Thirty Nine, Part Two. Margaret blushed. She could not have denied, if closely pressed that some little tinge of the eastern superstition had entered into this sacred ring, and lay there like the fire in the opal. She could not have denied that, when she drew it on every morning, she noted with satisfaction that its blue was as clear and bright as ever. "'How is it that this ring is still here?' asked Maria. "'Is it possible that he retains gifts of yours? Yet I think if he did not—' This ring would not be on your finger. He does keep whatever I gave him. Thank God he keeps them. This is one of my greatest comforts. It is the only way I have left of speaking to him. But if it were not so, this ring would still be where it is. I would not give it up. I am not altered. I am not angry with him. His love is as precious to me as it ever was, and I will not give up the tokens of it. Why, Maria, you surely cannot suppose that these things have any other value or use but as given to him. You cannot suppose that I dread the imputation of keeping them for their own sakes. No, but... But what? Is any proof of his former regard of value now? That is the question. It has only very lately became a question to with me. I have only lately learned to think him in fault. I excused him before... I excused him as long as I could. You will unlearn your present opinion of him. Yes, everything that was ever valuable from him is more precious than ever now. Now that he is under a spell and cannot speak his soul. If it were, as you think, if he loved me no longer, they would still be more precious as a relic of the dead, but it is not so. If faith can remove mountains, we may have to rejoice for you still, Margaret, for there can be no mass of calumnies between you and him, which you have not faith enough to overthrow. Thank you for that. It is the best word of comfort that has come to me from without for many a day. Now there is one thing more in which you can perhaps help me. I have heard nothing about him for so long. You see, Mr. Rowland, sometimes, I know he feels a great friendship for you, and you meet the younger children. Do you hear nothing whatever about him? Nothing, nor do they. Mr. Rowland told me a fortnight ago that Mrs. Rowland and he are seriously uneasy at obtaining no answers to their repeated letters to Mr. Enderby. Mrs. Rowland is more disturbed, I believe, than she chooses to show. She must feel herself responsible. She has tried various means of accounting for his silence all the autumn. Now she gives that up and is silent in her turn. If it were not for the impossibility of leaving home at such a time as this, Mr. Rowland would go to London to satisfy himself. Margaret, I believe you are the only person who has smiled at this. Perhaps I am the only one who understands him. I had rather know of this silence than all the letters he could have written to Mrs. Rowland. If he had been ill, they would certainly have heard. Yes, they say so. Then that is enough. Let us say no more now. You have said that which has cheered me for you, Margaret, though as we poor, irreligious human beings often say to each other, I wish I had your faith. You have given me more than I had, however. But are we to say no more about anything? 
must we leave this comfortable fire and go to sleep not unless you wish it i have more to ask if you are not tired come ask me cannot you tell me of some way in which a woman may earn money a woman what rate of woman do you mean yourself that question is easily answered a woman from the uneducated classes can get a subsistence by washing and cooking by milking cows and going to service and in some parts of the kingdom by working in a cotton mill or burnishing plate as you have no doubt seen for yourself at birmingham but for an educated woman a woman with the powers which god gave her religiously improved with a reason which lays life open before her in understanding which surveys silence as its appropriate task and a conscience which would make every species of responsibility safe for such a woman there is in all england no chance of subsistence but by teaching that almost ineffectual teaching which can never countervail the education of circumstances and for which not one in a thousand is fit or by being a superior miss nares the feminine gender of the tailor and the hatter the tutor the tailor and the hatter is this all all except that there are departments of art and literature from which it is impossible to shut women out these are not however to be regarded as resources for bread besides the number who succeed in art and literature being necessarily extremely small it seems pretty certain that no great achievements in the domains of art and imagination can be looked for from either men or women who labor there to supply their lower wants or for any other reason than the pure love of their work while they toil in any one of the arts of expression if they are not engrossed by some loftier meaning the highest which they will end with expressing will be the need of bread true quite true i must not think of any of those higher departments of labor because even if i were qualified what i want is not employment but money i am anxious to learn some money maria we are very poor edward is trying one way and in another to earn money to live upon till his practice comes back to him as he is forever trusting it will i wish to earn something too if it be ever so little can you tell me of no way i believe i should not if i could why because i think you have quite enough to do already and will soon have too much just consider when morris goes what hour of the day will you have to spare let us see do you mean to sweep the rooms with your own hands yes said margaret smiling and to score them too no not quite that we shall hire a neighbor to come two or three times a week to do the rougher parts of the work but i mean to light the fire in the morning and we shall have but one and get breakfast ready and hester will help me to make the beds that is nearly all i shall let her do besides the sewing for baby i will give her employment enough indeed i think so and that will leave you too much do not think dear of earning money you are doing all you ought in saving it i must think about it because earning is so much nobler and more effectual than saving i cannot help seeing that it would be far better to earn the amount of morris's maintenance than to save it by doing her work badly myself not that i shrink from the labor i am rather enjoying the prospect of it as i told you hark what footstep is that i heard it a minute or two ago whispered maria but i did not like to mention it they listened in the deepest silence for a while at first they were not sure whether they heard anything above the beating of their own hearts but they were soon certain 
that there were feet moving outside the room door. The church clock has but lately gone twelve, said Maria, in the faint hope that it might be someone of the household yet stirring. Margaret shook her head. She rose softly from her seat and took a candle from the table to light it, saying she would go and see. Her hand trembled a little as she held the match, and the candle would not immediately light. Meantime, the door opened without noise, and someone walked in and quite up to the gazing ladies. It was the tall woman. Maria made an effort to reach the bell, but the tall woman seized her arm and made her sit down. A capricious jet of flame from a coal in the fire at this moment lighted up the face of the stranger for a moment and enabled Maria to spy a crete peered under the muffler. "'What do you want at this time?' said Margaret. "'I want money. And what else can I get?' said the intruder, in the no longer disguised voice of a man. "'I have been into your larder, but you seem to have nothing there.' "'That is true,' said Margaret, firmly. "'Nor have we any money. We are very poor. You could not have come to a worse place.' if you are in want here is something however said the man turning to the tray with your leave i'll see what you have left us to eat he thrust one of the candles between the bars of the grate to light it telling the ladies they had better start no difficulty lest they should have reason to repent it there were others with him in the house who would show themselves in an instant if any noise were made then do you make none i beg it as a favour said margaret there is a lady asleep upstairs with a very young infant if you expect her life you will be quiet the man did not answer but he was quiet he cut slices from the loaf and carried them to the door and they were taken by somebody outside he quickly devoured the remains of the pheasant tearing the meat from the bones with his teeth he drank from the decanter of wine and then carried it where he had taken the bread two men put their heads in at the door nodded to the ladies before they drank and again withdrew the girls cast a look at each other a glance of agreement what resistance was not to be thought of yet each was conscious of a feeling of rather pleasant surprise that she was not more alarmed now for it said the man striding oddly about in his petticoats and evidently out of patience with them now for your money as he spoke he put the spoons from the tray into the bosom of his gown, proceeding to murmur at his deficiency of pockets. Margaret held out her purse to him. It contained one single shilling. You don't mean this is all you are going to give me? It is all I have, and I believe there is not another shilling in the house. I told you, we have no money. And you, said he, turning to Maria, I have not my purse about me, and if I had, there is nothing in it worth your taking i assure you i have not got my purse i am only a visitor here for this one night and an odd night it is to have chosen as it turns out give me your watches i have no watch i have not had a watch these five years said maria i have no watch said margaret i sold mine a month ago i told you we were very poor the man muttered something about the plague of gentlefolks being so poor and about wondering that gentlefolks were not ashamed of being so poor you have got something however he continued fixing his eye on the ring on margaret's finger give me that ring give it me or else i'll take it margaret's heart sank with the self-reproach worse than her grief when she remembered how easily she might have saved this ring 
how easily she might have thrust it under the fender or dropped it into her shoe into her hair anywhere while the intruder was gone to the room door to his companions she felt that she could never forgive herself for this neglect of the most precious thing she had in the world of that which most belonged to philip she cannot part with that ring said maria look you may see she had rather part with any money she is ever likely to have than with that ring she pointed to margaret who was sitting with her friends clasped as if they were never to be disjoined and with the face of the deepest distress i can't help that said the man i must have what i can get he seized her hands and with one gripe of his made hers fly open margaret could no longer endure to expose any of her feelings to the notice of a stranger of this character be patient a moment said she and she drew off the ring after its guard made of hester's hair and put them into the large hand which was held out to receive them feeling at the moment as if her heart was breaking the man threw the hair ring back into her lap and tied the turquoise in the corner of the shawl he wrote the lady upstairs has got a watch i suppose yes she has let me go and fetch it do let me go i'm afraid of nothing so much as to her being terrified if you have any humanity let me go indeed i will bring the watch well there is no man in the house i know for you to call you may go miss but i must step behind you to the room door no further she shan't see me nor know any one is there unless you tell her this young lady will sit as still as a mouse till we come back never mind me said maria to her friend while they were gone she sat as she was desired as still as a mouse enforced there too by the certainty that a man stood in the shadow by the door with his eye upon her the whole time margaret lighted a chamber candle in order as she said to look as usual if her sister should see her the robber did tread very softly on the stairs and stop outside the chamber door morris was sitting up in her truckle bed evidently listening and was on the point of starting out of it on seeing that margaret's face was pale when margaret put her finger on her lips and motioned her to lie down hester was asleep with her sleeping infant on her arm margaret set down the light and leaned over her to take the watch from its hook at the head of the bed are you still up said hester drowsily and just opening her eyes what do you want it must be very late nearly half past twelve by your watch i am sorry i disturbed you good night as she withdrew with the watch in her hand she whispered to morris lie still don't be uneasy i will come again presently so in a few minutes as seemed to intently listening ears the house was clear of the intruders within a quarter of an hour margaret had beckoned morris out of hester's room and had explained the case to her they went round the house and found that all the little plate they had was gone and the cheese from the pantry morris's cloth cloak was left hanging on its pin and even edward's old hat from these circumstances and from the dialect if the only speaker margaret thought the thieves must be country people from the neighbourhood who could not wear the old clothes of the gentry without danger of detection they had come in from the surgery whose outer door was sufficiently distant from the inhabited rooms of the house to be forced without the noise being heard 
Morris and Margaret barricaded this door as well as they could, with such chests and benches as they were able to move without making themselves heard upstairs, and then Morris, at Margaret's earnest desire, stole back to bed, anything rather than alarm Hester. While they were below, Maria had put on more coals, and restored some order and comfort to the table and the fireside. She concluded that sleep was out of the question for this night. For some moments after Margaret came and sat down by her, neither of them spoke. At length Margaret said, half laughing, that you should have come here for rest this night, of all nights in the year. I am glad it happened so. Yes, indeed I am. I know it must have been a comfort to you, to have someone with you, though only poor lame me, and I am glad, on my own account too. I assure you, such a visitation is not half so dreadful as I had fancied, not worth half the fear. I have spent upon it all my life. I am sure you felt it as I did, while he was here. You felt it quite yourself, did not you? If it had not been for the woman's clothes, it would really have been scarcely terrifying at all. There is something much more human about a horse-breaker than I had fancied, but yet it was very inhuman of him to take your ring. Margaret wept more bitterly than anyone had ever seen her weep since her unhappy days began, and her friend could not comfort her. It was a case in which there was no comfort to be given, unless in the very faint and unreasonable hope that the ring might be offered for sale to some jeweller in some market-town in the county. A hope sadly faint and unreasonable, since country people, who would take plate and ornaments, must, in all probability, be in communication with London rogues, who would turn the property into money in the great city. Still, there was a possibility of recovering the lost treasure, and on this possibility Maria dwelt perseveringly. But Margaret, she went on to ask, what is this about your watch? Have you indeed sold it? Yes, Morris managed that for me while Hester was confined. I am glad now that I parted with it, as I did. It has paid some bills, which I know made Edward anxious, and that is far better than its being in a housebreaker's hands. Yes, indeed. But I am sorry you all have such a struggle to live, not a shilling in the house, but the one you gave up. So much for Edward's being out, it happened very well, for he could not have helped us if he had been here. You saw there were three of them. What I meant was that Edward was about him the little money that is to last us till Christmas. The rent is safe enough. It is in Mr. Gray's strong box or the bank at Blickley. The rent is too important a matter to be put to any hazard, considering that Mr. Rowland is our landlord. It is all ready and safe. That is well. Now, Margaret, could you swear to this visitor of ours? No, said Margaret, softly looking round, as if to convince herself that he was not there still. No, his bonnet it was so large, and he kept the shadow of it so carefully upon his face, that I should not know him again, at least not in any other dress, and we shall never see him again in this. It is very disagreeable, she continued, shuddering slightly, to think that we may pass him any day or every day, and that he may say to himself as we go by, There go the ladies that sat with their feet, on the fender so comfortably when I went in, without leave. Poor wretch, he will rather stay. There goes the young lady that I made so unhappy about her ring. 
I wish I had choked with the wine I drank before I took that ring. The first man you meet that cannot look you in the face is the thief. Depend on it, Margaret. I must not depend upon that. But, Maria, could you swear to him? I am not quite sure at this moment, but I believe I could. The light from the fire shone brightly upon his black chin, and a bit of lank hair that came from under his mob-cap. I could swear to the shawl. So could I, but that will be burned to-morrow morning. Now, Maria, do go to bed. Well, if you had rather, can we be together? Must I be treated as a guest, and have a room to myself? Not if you think we can make room in mine. We shall be most comfortable there. Shall not we, near to Morris and Hester? Rather than separate, they both betook themselves to the bed in Margaret's room. Maria lay still, as if asleep, but wide awake and listening. Margaret mourned her turquoise with silent tears all the rest of the night. End of chapter 39, part 2